Welcome, everybody, to the Then Again podcast. We're back with uh, albums of April 2010 to discuss this this week. I'm your host, Mark, a.k.a. Mad Marcus. We got our guy, Brandon, a.k.a. Quiet Brandon here. Go ahead and you can talk, Quiet Brandon. Well, it's okay. Uh, hi. Most of the time, Quiet Brandon kind of just, that's sort of how he got his nickname. He's like a man that's follows the Mark Twain adage of better to remain silent and let people assume you're an idiot than to open it and remove all doubt. I mean, I, I just, Correct. I don't know if he lives by that avid adage, but it, it is somewhat applicable to him. Yep. That, that's my motto. <laughs> there we go. Uh, so as you hopefully know at this point, um, our podcast is about music. And uh, what we do is we look back in time on a month by month basis and talk about the albums that were released in each month. As I mentioned before, we're going to be getting into April 2010 in this episode. Um, I'm excited about that. And uh, it's a little bit lighter, I would say, this month than some of our other um, recent episodes have been. But there's definitely still plenty to talk about. So um, I guess just... For reference as well, maybe we should discuss where we are in week indeterminate of quarantine still. Um, we're here in Colorado. They've kind of let up the restrictions somewhat, but we are pretty much still staying home all the time. At least I am. Are you, Brandon? Yes. Working from home, staying home. Yes. All that stuff. Yeah. So it's weird, man. Can you imagine? So just, I guess, to quick sidetrack, 2020 has been fucking incredible, in my opinion, thus far for music. There's been a, an exceptional amount of outstanding albums, in my opinion, that have been released in the first uh, four plus months. Um, so it's going to be really weird 10 years from now to like look back at the stuff that was all dropping during quarantine and like, what were we, what were we doing back in April... 2020 it's like i think everybody will remember where they were in march and april of 2020 so uh strange strange days indeed so uh but we're getting through it and we hope you are as well we hope this podcast brings you a little bit of entertainment during some weird times and on that note we're just gonna jump right into it the first segment we like to do is about the number one song in the billboard charts because neither brandon and i really listen to a whole lot of radio so it's a little bit fun for us to kind of go back and listen to some songs that we may not have heard as well as to kind of set the tone of what the mainstream um or lamestream as someone would say not me but some people would say that uh audiences were listening to at this time um and this week's uh or uh, this show's um selection is well it's rihanna with Rude Boy. Um, so this was uh, the number one song of all of April 2010. Uh, it actually went to number one on March 27th, stayed all April, and then lost its spot on May 1st. The fourth single from Rihanna's double platinum rated R album. That was her fourth record. This was her sixth number one single. Went five, time, five times platinum. Excuse me, it's um, 
uh, got a little bit of a raga muffin influence that is reflective of her Barbadian heritage. Uh, I counted seven credited writers on this one, Brandon. It took seven writers to come up with Rude Boy. Uh, you had um, one of uh, her longtime collaborators um, who worked on it along uh, with Stargate. He's a celebrated um, producer from Sweden. And Rob Swire, uh, who also is a knife party, I think he's the one that added the sort of electronic elements in the production. Um, the lyrics are, they're a little randy, this one. She's, she sings, and I actually wouldn't have known unless I looked it up, because um, I, I didn't really, I just didn't really register what she was actually saying. I just kind of know the pattern. But she says, boy, can you get it up? Come on, rude boy. Boy, is you big enough? Is you big enough? So she's like, you know, I think, you know, I think the suggestion for the radio version would be that, are you big enough to step to me? Like, can you actually do this? But I think we also know the double entendre. In other words, um, the song is horny as fuck and I love it. I actually, uh, love's maybe a little strong, but I definitely enjoyed this song. It's weird because I... I remember the vote, the vocals, um, but like I really didn't remember the production style on this one, and so it was kind of fun to like, oh wow, weird. Like there's like kind of electronic stuff going on. Um, it was the biggest single from the album, and it sort of helped Rihanna establish her role as one of the most important radio artists of the 2010s, mid mid 2000s to the you know 2010s and 2010s. Also, this is sort of a harbinger of uh, her patented mix of electronic music and pop this will be a theme that continues to pop up in both her career as well as the radio as a whole over the coming decade yeah this one was good for me brandon i enjoyed it what do you think um yeah it was decent i've um i've long had like a certain level of respect for rihanna um as a general thing like i've enjoyed her more than most other pop artists of that kind of slice of time um i guess for me it was like oh she called rude boy this better be like ska song as a as a ska guy that was a little a little disappointing but um yeah it's pretty good it's pretty yeah as you said it's a horny song which how are you? um yeah i don't really have much else to say i i mean it's it's no umbrella but it's pretty good yeah i wouldn't put this in her top tier necessarily of singles but um i think in the context of her career where it's kind of like, are you going to be someone that had a few hit singles, you know, during the the mid to late 2000s um, and then just kind of fell off? Or are you going to be someone that has staying power? Because uh, this was the biggest single from Rated R. And this this definitely proves she had staying power and she's proven it ever since. It's been a while since she's put out an album now. But um, yeah, she she's had a, a good run. She's certainly... Uh, 
pretty iconic uh, artist for certainly, I think, a younger generation than us. So, yeah, not bad. I didn't hate it, and that's that's a good sign for radio songs of this era. Um, so on that note, <clears throat> we're going to move on to our next uh, main segment of the show. So this is where we discuss the albums themselves that came out. The first one we got to talk about, Brandon, this was, I think, and even now kind of just reads as one of the strangest albums I think that's been released um, in, you know, probably the last, obviously, 10 years now. It's, it's got the anniversary um, and maybe even longer. It's super weird. It's a collaboration between David Byrne of the Talking Heads fame and Fatboy Slim of uh, late 90s big beat electronic fame. And it's a double album, concept album, about the life of former Philippines First Lady Imelda Marcos. Um, <laughs> just saying that aloud feels a little weird. It's, it's a very strange idea uh, for an album. Um, and the thing that really stuck out to me, um, my first time I heard it and still does, the, the thing that most Americans know about Imelda Marcos, right, is that she had like a collection of thousands, I think, actually thousands of shoes. Like she was obsessed with shoes. There's not a single reference to shoes on this album. So credit to David Byrne for writing around the cliche. Um, it's a massive record. It's a double album that runs 22 songs and 90 minutes there are 20 different musicians on this, or I'm sorry, vocalists on this album. Um, okay, so let's just kind of run through them very briefly. You got 80s and 90s stars like Cyndi Lauper, Kate Pearson of the B-52s on the very Prince-tinged The Whole Man. You've got Natalie Merchant and Tori fucking Amos on this record. Also... You've got St. Vincent, uh, indie star who would uh, collaborate with David Byrne on Love This Giant a couple years later. Florence Welsh from Florence on the Machine singing on the title song. Sia, motherfucking Sia on this record. You got country artists like Steve Earle and Allison Moore. You got Royson Murphy of Molico. Um, personally, one of my favorite artists of the entire decade, Santa Gold is on this record. Nicole Atkins and... Uh, the lovely Sharon Jones, who we're going to talk about a little bit more later, just a murderer's row of vocalists on this record. Now, the thing that, as I mentioned, it, it was actually, it's a concept album and was sort of conceptualized as a musical. And it was eventually staged in New York at the Public Theater in uh, 2013. It actually won a lot of awards including the Obie Award, which is the like sort of off-Broadway Tonys for outstanding music and lyrics. So it was a highly acclaimed musical when it finally came out uh, three years after the album's release. Um, it also had a run in Seattle in 2017. It was highly acclaimed there. So it's, it's apparently the stage show is supposed to be really good. Um, so with all of this talent involved, right? Like, um, I mean, I was absolutely over the moon excited for this record uh when i first heard about it 
Fat Boy Slim for me was one of my first points into uh, my first entry points into electronic music. And obviously by this point I had, had gotten a little deeper than the singles um, into the talking heads who are clearly one of the greatest, you know, bands of the, the eighties. Um, plus you have all these incredible singers and a fucking insane concept for the record. Like I could not wait. I pre-ordered on iTunes, got it. I'm like, here we go. I was super underwhelmed. Now, when I look back, I think that my anticipation for the album had built up, uh, you know, had built it up in a way that it just couldn't possibly hit. Um, but I would say that the best way to describe the sound of the album itself is theatrical. You can hear David Byrne in the songwriting and Fatboy Slim in the production, but they're both just completely subsumed by the vocalists themselves. I also had a hard time following the narrative uh, and honestly kind of still do in a lot of ways. You get a sense of the story, but because there's different vocalists on every track, it's really hard to kind of keep track of the different characters and who's singing about what. Um, I think in a really petty way also, I was kind of upset that I actually paid my own money for this album. Now, I know that sounds like the most spoiled complaint that you could possibly hear, but for context, I'm someone that who is, you know, in my, in my past and typically is, is a lot of times I get albums um, for my job or in advance or, you know, from other people and, and all that. And so this one, I was like, I'm gladly willing to pay extra money. It's a double album. It was like 20 bucks on iTunes or something. Um, and it's just sucks when you pay 20 bucks for something. And then you're like, Oh, that wasn't really awesome. It feels like you got cheated somehow. So there were a couple of highlights for me, but in general, it left kind of a bad taste in my mouth that prevented me from coming back to it. So as I revisited it for this podcast, I have to say, Brandon, pleasantly surprised. I think the biggest part of that is the reverse of before. Instead of being too excited for the album, I came back ready to feel disappointed. I also think I've kind of just become, in general, more accepting of pop music over the last decade, and I've even somewhat gotten into musical theater which will hurt my street credibility, but I, I'm going to admit it now. Um, I feel like the title song is an absolutely, it's an insane earworm. Anytime I even think of it, it just gets stuck in my head, but it's also gorgeous. And Florence Welsh can fucking sing, man. I also wish I kind of paid closer attention to the different vocalists on the different songs, because I think each of them are sort of suited for the vocalists that they got to sing them. Sharon Jones is just brassy as hell on Dancing Together while Natalie Merchant is vulnerable on Order 1081. I think there's a, I might have that slightly wrong. Anyway, it's the order that Marcos gave to institute martial law in the Philippines for nine years. So again, there's a weird disconnect between the sort of historic stuff in my mind or there have been of, uh, him being a, just an absolutely terrible leader whose wife bought shoes while the rest of the country burned. And the music of this album was difficult to reconcile at the time. Um, but as I said, I think, you know, coming back to this years later, um, it might not reach the potential of the sum of its many, many parts. And the story is still kind of a little difficult to follow for me, but there is a fearlessness to this album uh, I really appreciate. They really swing for the fences, 
fences on this one and it's refreshingly bold and unselfconscious. In conclusion, Brandon, I have to say, I think this album plays much better in the post-Hamilton, post-Lizzo era. As a fan of Talking Heads and a number of the women who sang on this album, I'm intensely curious to hear, what did you think about Here Lies Love? Um, yeah, it, I had a lot of the same first impressions as you on this one. Um, similarly, super anticipated it. I, I mean, I bought a lot of albums that I didn't didn't end up liking a lot. This is one of them I have on CD. Um, but yeah, this one just always kind of seemed like homework to me. Like, um, I never quite got it. I, I'm aware that this is all on me personally and not on um, the artists who created it, but I felt like since I personally didn't know anything about Imeldo Marcos, um, I couldn't really fully appreciate it. Um, I couldn't really follow any story. Um, even though I was hoping I'd just be able to enjoy all those amazing collaborations that were happening, it was just kind of too much and just too long. I could enjoy some of the songs out of context, but it's just such a beast to listen to. Um, it's kind of weird. And I like even today, I didn't have like on revisiting, I didn't have like a lot of time to devote to this as a 90 minute album. Um, I will say we also had briefly looked at the original cast recording version of this. Um, and when I did that, I kind of was enjoying it more because it seemed to make more sense as a narrative, as something I could follow um just cohesive so i i'm sure this would be best experienced on stage as the play itself um but yeah the it was just kind of it's still just overwhelming to me um but i can enjoy the bits and pieces of the songs on there i re-listened to the sharon jones one just before this and it was it was a good time but as as a big Talking Heads fan, it was still just like hard for me, I guess. Yeah, I think I think again, it's 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 one of those pieces that you know there's so it's so conceptually heavy in terms of like this. It's about a specific thing, and you have these um, these different people forming and. It's just all very overwhelming, I think, um, as an album. And as you pointed out, like 90 minutes is, it's, it's tough. Like double albums, like it's, it's hard for any double album to be like, oh, I just listen to it, you know, press play front to back, no problem. Um, and I think also that it kind of maybe, as you pointed out, is a little handicapped by the fact that the music in the album came out before the stage production. Whereas if you, if you had some context for, um, you know, for the music and you'd seen the play and, and that was kind of the established thing you were going off of, you might understand a little bit more about 
um, the narrative, but because every song is a different singer, it's like, I don't even know what character is singing this song because it's not like, oh, okay, that voice is this character and that voice is this character. It's like multiple people voicing the same character. It, it just becomes hard to follow. Um, and, and maybe it's also just that like trying to do a, a musical about Imelda Marcos is like, wow, that is, David Byrne said something along the line of like, I was really interested in finding out the way that people reinvent themselves and, you know, and about power and how that changes over time because she was born poor and, they, you know, you, you pick up on that stuff on there, but um, you kind of just get the general outline. Um, and the other thing he said was like, it, I think for him too, it was really about this notion of staging a musical theater performance um, that was set in a disco. Like he imagined like going to a club and then like you're in a club, like doing club things, but then all of a sudden like an actual musical breaks out in the club. Like what would that look like? And I think that that's what he was trying to go for with this, which again, like <laughs> fucking a David Byrne, like he does not like, he gets this notion of something and he goes for it. And sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it, it's mixed. Um, but that's just David Byrne being David Byrne and God bless the guy for that, because we wouldn't have all the classic music he's released without that kind of ambition. But um, it's a little bit of a mixed bag for sure. So, um, you know, I, I, yeah, it's, it's a mixed bag, I think. But um, as I said, I think times have changed. And I do think that um, there's some degree of like the way that Hamilton and Lizzo and the inner sort of theater rap is actually kind of a thing. Not that there's any rapping on this, but just sort of that notion of incorporating um, more traditional sort of club music into a, a theater performance has gained a lot of traction over the last five years, 10 years or so um, that makes this play a little better. And I actually if this show ever came to Denver, I would definitely buy a ticket for it. Like for sure. Um, so we'll see if that ever happens and hopefully people will stage some more here lies love and credit to you guys. Uh, fat boy slim who we really didn't talk about too much with this. I don't, I think it's more David Byrne than fat boy slim. Would you agree with that? Yeah. It's kind of his whole sensibility. I think. Yeah. The songwriting is very burn. The production is Fatboy Slim, but in some respects, I think, and I do think Fatboy Slim, I, like I said, he was huge to me um, in terms of opening the door to electronic music, but I think he is a little, um, like, you. it's not like, oh, that sounds like a Fatboy Slim beat. You know, like, it, it's kind of just more generalized electronic music or dance club music. Um, he doesn't really stand out as much on this, but God bless those guys for getting together to try this and everyone involved. They left us with uh, more than a handful of bangers. So we'll, we'll take it, take it at that. So um, I think on that note, we're going to move on to our next album, uh, which obviously we can just connect directly through Miss Sharon Jones and her band, the Dap Kings. We're talking about their fourth record, I Learned the Hard Way. This album came out on April 6th, 2010. 12 tracks, a brisk 39 minutes and 30 seconds runtime. So if you've never heard of these, uh, these guys, um, 
basically the Dap Kings were a house band um, for Daptone Records, the label that sort of adopted uh, the classic analog recording techniques of classic funk artists from the 60s and 70s. So very funky and soulful record label. Very well known for quality at this point. I, I would say that they're, um, yeah, Daptone is, Daptone is quality. Now the band, the Dap Kings are made up of guys with just absolutely incredible names. Um, you got Binky Griptite in there. You got Homer Steinweiss, Neil Sugarman, and of course the great Bosco Mann, who is the band's producer and primary songwriter. Um, I got, when I was in, you know, we talk about on our 2000s episodes, I was um, just starting to write for my college newspaper in 2000. Their first record came out in 2002 when I was still in college. I was very lucky to get on them early. Their first album, Dap Dippin' with Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings. Um, just a fantastic record that just kind of blew my mind at the time. But they still felt like a secret even when I saw them by 2006, which was just an incredible show. Really, truly one of the best shows I think I've ever seen for very personal reasons. However, by the time that I Learned the Hard Way came out in 2010, the secret was out and Jones was getting recruited by people like David Byrne. Meanwhile, the Dap Kings were out touring with Amy Winehouse, whose breakout album Back to Black were uh, they were featured on. Obviously, they worked closely with... Amy Winehouse producer Mark Ronson, who is another one of my uh, just favorite artists. We'll, we'll talk about him as his albums pop up on this podcast. I love Mark Ronson. Props to Mark Ronson. Shots. Mark Ronson. Give me a follow. I love you, buddy. Anyway, um, they worked with Mark Ronson extensively and uh, were ultimately immortalized in the minds of as if Amy Winehouse wasn't enough. They were the dudes that played on Uptown Funk. So for what, you know, that that's not necessarily really what their sound is like, but it speaks to their credibility, I guess, as funk artists that the all-time classic funk song, Uptown Funk, uh, has their fingerprints all over it. So to me... I feel like um, I Learned the Hard Way is somewhat of a transitional album. It's where the group was kind of moving away from the hard funk of their early albums into something a little bit more soulful and introspective. Now, when you say introspective, don't get it wrong. This is an album that is well-suited for summertime cookouts with multiple generations of families and friends. They will all love this from your grandma to your children. Everybody's going to get down. The opening trio of songs uh, is just epic the game gets old followed by the title song followed by better things we do all of them unimpeachable um i also like you know the band has always been um very outspoken about their political views uh if you want a point of reference as to what those views might be you should check out their song what if we all stopped paying taxes um this album has money which is one of their best tracks in that sort of um, more politically minded funk um vein um, still, I, I have to say this is, I wouldn't put this one at the top of my list of their best albums. Um, but I have a hard time even picking what their best album is. To me, Sharon Jones and the Dab Kings are the type of group that has such a strong, recognizable sound across their entire discography. I never really thought of them as album artists because every album has five to seven songs that feel timeless. 
padded out by the rest that are just simply good. Um, again, I don't want to sound like I'm criticizing. These are genuinely one of my favorite bands of the last couple decades. I love what they did. I love that they've kept funk alive. But like a lot of times I forget which songs are on which albums from them. And re-listening re to this one in full, I feel like it's just maybe not quite as strong as their earlier couple, uh, their previous uh, Naturally or 100 Days, 100 Nights. Still, this is a hell of a record. I don't want in any way to sound like I'm shitting on it. I love Sharon Jones and the Dive Kings. I love this record. God bless each and every one of them. Rest in peace, Sharon Jones. We love you. Brandon, can you sing a little more praise for these guys, please? Hey, yeah. Um, and it's funny, this one might be the one that's most identifiable to me as an album. Um, I don't know. I feel like, so obviously Sharon Jones was always a badass, but this to me sounds like her most badass album. Like just coming from the title, I learned the hard way about living hard. Um, and just the way like from the opening notes of the opening song, the game gets old. It sounds like we're getting into a spy movie or something. Um, the way those horns play, um, like it could just play over some epic James Bond scenes. Um, and it's just a whole thing. It's like, you can tell like, I don't know. She's been, she was, she went through a lot and this kind of was like, to me, the album that's like coming out of that um, as a strong person, even though, well, that makes it sound like she didn't sound like a strong person all along, which is not the case, obviously. Um, but no, she's taking no, sh like, she's not taking any shit on this album. I mean, yeah, like exactly. There's just this theme of like, I've been through shit. Um, I'm over it and it's just really awesomely badass um, and it's also probably like it might be related to this was this being the first so I kind of heard about them in bits and pieces for a little while and this was the first new album of theirs I got when it came out so in that way it was also it just establishing them to me in a fuller way than their previous ones. Um, it's kind of funny. It ends on that mama don't like my man song because it's kind of an outlier to all of that. It sounds more like a sixties girl group song as if she, Sharon Jones would need anyone's approval, even her mother's. Um, but since it's the last track, I guess it makes it seem like a bonus tag at the end of the album anyway, as opposed to a piece of the cohesive, I learned the hard way thesis that is established on the record. Um, yeah, Sharon Jones is the best. I was lucky enough to see her a couple times live. Um, once, like right after she had gone through all the cancer treatments and it was just, I, I can't even 
describe the feelings that it gave me seeing her singing after that. So, and then, you know, the fact that she is gone now is very upsetting. That probably, of all the 2016 awfulness, that one hit one of the hardest for me of all the deaths that 2016 had, by the way. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, we can talk about that more later. Yeah, we're going to talk about a little more, yeah. There are several more Sharon Jones albums we'll cover, so I don't need to really get into that. But anyway, this is an awesome album. Absolutely. And I think I think to your point about her um, sort of world wariness um, on this album and, and badassery, um, you know, if if you again, if you don't know about the band, she was, I think, well into her 40s by the time that she joined the, the Dap Kings. Um, and like, I think she had been sort of, you know, performing on on some of a local level, but um wasn't one of those people that was, you know, like an Amy Winehouse like becomes famous for an amazing voice, super young, and then kind of has that tumultuous 20s. Like she had lived her life. She was a correctional officer, if I'm not mistaken. Like, you know, just totally blue collar person who um, whose passion for music brought her, um, you know, fame and, and all that later in life. I, I think there's such a purity about her joy for music and, and her voice and everything. And, and it's such an honesty about the topics on this album. I think that's a great point. So, um, as I said, we, we, we have a, our last segment of the show is, uh, where we pick out our top albums of the month. And I think it's spoiler alert, safe to say that this one's going to be on both of ours. So, uh, so we'll move on to the next, uh, record that, um, we're talking about tonight. Um, MGMT, congratulations. Now, this record was released April 13th, 2010. Nine songs, 43 minutes, 53 seconds. So this was their sophomore album. It was the follow-up to their uh, classic. I'm going to say it. I just dropped the word classic debut, uh, oracular, spectacular. Uh, just hugely influential album for what was to come in the 2010s, in my estimation. Um, However, this album basically seemed to be a explicit response to their popularity they gained from the first one, and they didn't like it, Brandon. They were, they were not into it. <laughs> they were like, we don't want to make anything that sounds anything like what we did on our last album. They got uh, Peter Kember, a.k.a. Sonic Boom, former member of the Spaceman 3 to produce. Um, it, there's a, it's really d- like, they basically sound like an entirely different band from, from what they did on their debut. Um, really cool album cover, I have to say. I think that's worth uh, briefly discussing. It's a kind of hedgehog type creature with multiple eyes as if he's like looking all around on a surfboard that's about to be swallow up, swallowed up by a wave that looks like a cat uh, with its mouth open. Um, I honestly don't know if it's awesome or just totally terrible. Like I, I can't make up my mind when I look at it. There's just so much visual stimulation going on. I think maybe 
in a way that's a perfect um album cover for this particular record because um it's just such uh so they were like we don't really care about singles man we're not trying to put out singles i guess we have to put out uh it was flash delirium was our first single yeah we got to put out a single i guess we're gonna do that but we really want people to listen to this album all the way through like that's our whole goal we don't we're not really doing a single thing we're doing the album thing now brandon obviously the two of us are album guys right like that's what this literally what this podcast is about and indeed this album is quite cohesive a problem for me is i just don't think it's that good like for me um at the time when i listened to it when it came out and again i was a big fan of their debut i was like these guys are literally trying to just ruin their career and alienate all their fans um now i think having seen them in concert um just one time um and especially after their last album which is little dark age 2018 um which kind of returned to this more synth sound of their debut. I sort of feel like this album was actually more of a detour than like a new destination they were driving towards. Um, but I just, I hate it when bands shit on their own albums that like millions of people love. Like I just, I hate that. And that definitely felt like the case with this. But again, they, they kind of had to go through their evolution that they went through at the time. Um, I actually think that coming back to this album all these years later, it's definitely not as bad as I felt it was at the time. Um, in fact, it's actually, it's not bad. Um, it's, it's, um, it is, as I mentioned, very cohesive. There's a, a sort of psychic, uh, psych rock and kind of proggy. The song structures are very wandering and going all over the place. Um, but at the same time, like nothing really pops on this album. I think you, it's it was sort of hard for me to think of like even, I mean, again, it flows, I guess, to their credit, it flows exceptionally well. But in that way, like not, like nothing stands out. I, I really couldn't even be like, oh, this is a song. This is my song. Like it's, it's, it's not even entirely clear where certain songs end and others begin. Um, you know, again, I'm glad that they came back to the sound that people fell in love with um, and on Little Dark Age. And so that makes me feel a little better about this record um, or I, I suppose less cynical about this album, but uh, I don't know. Wasn't, wasn't super feeling it. Um, Brandon, what, what were your thoughts about this one? Um, so I never really was in love with them. I, um, didn't even really get into Oracular Spectacular. I thought it was pretty good, but not too. I I don't. Well, I'll say that I wrote this down because you called it a classic, and I put overrated. But whoa, whoa, whoa wait, hold on, hold on. <laughs> All right, you know what? We'll we'll have this debate when we actually talk about that album in eight years from now. Um, but um. Fair enough. Fair and, enough. And it's it's not even like you probably know it a lot better than me, so I it's I just never really got into it. So saying overrated is just kind of a asshole way of saying I didn't like something that other people liked. Um but yeah, to me it kinda sounded like some of the later Flaming Lips albums. 
where just the psychedelic kind of 60s sound with a lot of the flourishes and progginess of it, um, which also isn't a bad thing, but um, it just, I guess personally, um, since I wasn't that into either album, I prefer the poppier one. So this was just kind of, it's all right. It's a decent way to pass however many minutes you said it was. But <laughs> there's other stuff I'd listen to. I think that actually that, that Flaming Lips comparison is, is extremely fair uh, in a lot of ways. Um, and it's funny. I think in some ways they've kind of always been chasing the Flaming Lips a little bit because Dave Friedman, who's worked with uh, the Lips a lot, uh, produced their debut. Um, which doesn't really sound like the Fleming Lips, but um, but this one maybe does a little bit, um, and uh, and yeah, I, I, again, it's like it. And similarly to the uh, Here Lies Love, I think some of it is there was a narrative in my mind or like an anticipation that that really took hold, where I was just like, oh my god, the new MGMT, I can't wait, and uh, and just didn't just didn't meet my expectations and when you set the bar really high it's it's hard to but um but at the same time i i don't think there were i mean i'm i know this album has its defenders and then actually i was kind of surprised looking back at the at the reviews were were mostly positive actually they they weren't um they weren't like oh like my perception of them just com committing career suicide was i guess my own perception it wasn't the general narrative in in the um in the reviews at least but i don't know it's it's just um yeah it's just a weird strange record they did a lot of drugs and they had to get it out of their system and they did and congratulations so uh i think in a lot of respects um the next band and album we're about to talk about does a much better job of executing the types of ideas that mgmt were going for on this album um Brandon, why don't you talk to us uh, about the Apples in Stereo, uh, truly one of Denver's finest artists that have ever come out of the Mile High City. So we got to give them props uh, as being uh, hometown heroes and influential in a lot of different ways. But uh, why don't you tell us about the Apples in Stereo? Um, yeah, they're, this album that they put out in... April of 2010 was called Travelers in Space and Time. I believe I said that right, fully correctly. Um, yeah, that's correct. Cool. So it's kind of weird. I always wanted to have a closer relationship with this band than I do. Um, they're, you know, Denver's piece of the Elephant Six Collective. They share a member with Dressy Bessie, which is one of my other favorite Denver bands. Um, I've always enjoyed their singles. They've got some really catchy songs, some good tunes. Um, I just never really dug that deep into their catalog for whatever reason. Um, oddly, I like some of these Denver bands, like I never, it's, a weird situation where like I've never happened upon seeing them live um and it's just a weird like I know they're local but they don't feel that local other than like 
certain local friends will talk about them a lot. Um, totally. I've actually, I don't think I've ever even seen a flyer for an Apples and Stereo show. I mean, I, I, I definitely could be wrong, but like, I don't, they don't play very much. I don't yeah, it's just weird, but they're also kind of from before my time, I would say. Part as the whole Elephant Six thing in the 90s, I wasn't really into my psychedelic indie pop phase yet. Um, but I do love Dressy Bessie, by the way, sidebar. Um, but listening to this album just now, it tells me that if I did give them the spins, I think I could have easily been a big fan of this band because um, I thoroughly enjoyed the whole thing. Um, you already kind of said this, but I wrote it down too. I feel like they outdid MGMT in this particular month of existence um, with just good catchy jams. The That dance floor song, I don't know how I hadn't heard it. Apparently it was a single and it's really, really catchy. I think it was used in some things. Um, it was a good time. Um, and just the whole album is um, a lot of inventive means of creating catchiness. Um, it's real Elephant Six-ish with the kitchen sink approach that is that still like has a consistent and distinctive sound about it. Um, yeah, it reminds me of those other Elephant Six bands I quite enjoy, such as um, of Montreal or Olivia Tremor Control or something like that. Um, yeah, it's good stuff. Um, do you have any words to say? Yeah, I mean, I would just follow it up with saying that that a hundred percent dance floor is fucking ultra jam. Um, really catchy song, um, and I totally concur. I I kind of had sort of thought of them as I guess again just as someone that had read more about them than actually listened to them. Um, they kind of always get compared to the Beatles and I can, I can somewhat seem that because I think their singer sounds a little bit like John Lennon, um, maybe a little higher, actually sounds more like Sean Lennon, honestly. Um, but like you can, you can hear that comparison in the vocals a little bit. And also I think maybe in their earlier stuff, again, I'm not super familiar, but um, I think this one's a little dancier than uh, what they're going for. And obviously with songs like Dance Floor, they were, they were trying to make a little more uh, kind of dancey and catchier album. Um, but yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this album as well. I thought it was very fun. Um, it's, it's got a, like uh, a cohesiveness as well, um, which, you know, it's funny because, you know, we, we put together this playlist and again, you'll be able to, to listen to the playlist on Spotify um, for the podcast. And um if you listen to MGMT back to back to this it's like they out they beat you at your own game you were trying to do MGMT because it's it's that kind of as you as perfectly described it psychedelic indie pop um that's they just they just crush and um it's a really consistent album it's it's a little similar in that sense of they're like outside of dance floor and a couple of tracks um it doesn't there there aren't super standout songs but um 
but it does create a good energy throughout the whole thing. It's a little long, I think. It's 16 tracks, 51 minutes. Um, but, uh, but in general, uh, as someone that hadn't really listened to them, I felt like this was a very welcome introduction to the band. So, yeah, great work, uh, Apples and Sarah. Keep, keep making Denver proud, you know? Let, let's go. We need, we need more of this out of our fine, fine city, so. Um, I'm going to move on now to um, the Future Heads, uh, their album, The Chaos. Brandon, why don't you, why don't you talk a little bit about Future Heads? Um, sure. I don't have a ton to say, but um, listening to this album really brings me back to the days when Future Heads were big. Um, they're a band I never really listened to all that much. I'd say I was more of a Kaiser Chiefs guy, but um, I always enjoyed them when they came on at the at my indie punk dance night that I would attend in those days. That would be lip gloss, correct? Yes, that would be lip gloss and a couple others. Um, yeah, so because I don't, I didn't really listen to their albums. Um, you could have told me that this came out in 2004 and I would have believed you. Um, it doesn't seem like a super extreme statement, like six years, but that can be a big gap if you're living in that time. Um, but I wrote stuff down. I lost my place. Um, but it seems like a lot of the other bands of that era were evolving a lot more. If you just think of like Franz Ferdinand and like that Tonight album that we talked about recently um, and the leaps that they took creatively. To me, this just kind of makes me want to just dance like an idiot with a $2 gin and tonic in one hand. Um, man, those were some fun nights. <laughs> yes, they were. Yes, they were. Um, yeah, but that's all I have to say is it's, uh, it's all, it's catchy. It's a good time. It just doesn't seem that different from what I assume their other albums sound like, but at least their other singles. Yeah, I feel you. Um, I definitely feel you. I, I, I don't know them super well. Like I, um, I may know some of their other singles, but I didn't really recognize anything from this album and I, I'd never really heard them before myself. Um, but yeah, I agree. It's, it's, it's solid dance punk. Like it's like, it's dancey and it's rocky and you know, um, it's very British. So if you like the British style, as you said, uh, you compare them to Kaiser Chiefs, which I don't know if there was like, I don't know what their relationship was, if they were rivals or if it was a blur Oasis thing or whatever, but, but, but that's a good point of reference, I think. And, I think, yeah, it was just kind of, for me, it was like, yeah, this is cool. Um, you know, it, it, there's other bands, I think, as, you know, Franz Ferdinand, I'm a big fan of those guys. Other, other people in that vein, I think, maybe did a little better. But but I definitely enjoyed this record. If you like that kind of, um, you know, um, rock music you can dance to, um, this, this has plenty of bangers on it. Um, and I think this was kind of considered maybe their last stand in that vein um but yeah yeah it was good it was good i enjoyed it it was, it was, it was a good album 
So um, we're going to move on uh, just really briefly to a couple of hip hop records. As you guys know, I'm a huge rap music guy. Um, and a couple of uh, artists that I really admire and, and have loved some of their other things came out with some albums this month. Um, I guess first up, we'll talk about Little Brother's Left Back. So Little Brother is the, um, they were a North Carolina trio consisting of Fonte, rapper Big Pooh, and producer Ninth Wonder. Um, we'll talk about their other albums on other episodes, but um, at this point they had broken off from Ninth Wonder. I think he, he may have produced a song or two on here, but it was pretty much just a duo. Um, and this, this was, I don't know, uh, it was okay. Um, I, I, we don't like to shit on anything uh, too hard here. Um, and I, I wouldn't shit on this album. I wouldn't say it's, it's bad. Um, it's just, again, just relative to their older material, um, it doesn't really hold up. Um, there, there are a couple decent tracks on here, um, but in general, um, I they broke up shortly after this album was released, and I think that says a lot. Um, so they got back together last year, and they released an incredible album. Uh, even without Ninth, Ninth Wonder on their on their last record. Um, it still has that Little Brother sound. So I wouldn't tell anyone that hasn't heard of Little Brother to start here. Um, and in fact, <laughs> I might even suggest that people who are big fans of their early stuff just maybe skip this one because it, it doesn't add a whole lot to their legacy. But, um, but there are some nice vocals from Fonte um, who can sing and rap with the best of them. And, and people have sort of said that Fonte was kind of the original Drake in terms of someone who is equally talented at singing and rapping. I would argue myself that he's a better singer and a better rapper than Drake. So if you're looking for higher quality Drake, go with Fonte people. Um, although that that's, again, that's kind of a, an unfair comparison because they're both their own artists, but is, if, if that's the sort of metric, um, he can do both as they say. Um, do you, do you have much to add? Uh, not a lot. Um, I will say as someone who didn't come in as a little brother fan from their heyday during the ninth wonder years, I did enjoy it quite a bit. Um, and I can't really explain why that well, it's got a sound that I have a hard time, like saying why I'm enjoying it, but I just enjoyed it while I was listening to it. Um, although it didn't really stick with me, didn't really remember it after it had passed, but during the time it was good. Um, I did like their recent reunion album more, I will say, but I still need to check out those earlier ones, which we will do as part of this. And I look forward to that. I'm, I'm excited for you, buddy, because, um, yeah, the early little brother stuff is unimpeachable in my opinion some of the best hip-hop um you know of the last last couple decades really so um 
Uh, so while Ninth Wonder moved on, um, even while he was part of Little Brother, he had begun a very fruitful relationship with the LA rapper Murs. Murs, I guess these days, is really well known as a Twitch personality. So good for him. He's he's out there on Twitch um, streaming for the kids, and the kids are getting into Murs that way, which good for you. Um, I love Murs. Uh, I got into him when he was signed to Def Jux, which was LP's um, label during the 2000s um, before he started running the Jewels. Um, yeah, and they put out uh, their first two albums were, uh, in my mind, I know I throw, I'm the hyperbolic, I'm the hyperbolic guy that throws around classic all the time and all that, but I truly love uh, both their first two collaborations. This was their, I believe, their fourth one. Um, they've worked together quite a bit. Um, it, and again, this is like another solid album. Like the beats are nice. Merce, what, what I like about Merce is that like, he his verses certain rappers they just like their lyrics are very clear and uh comprehensible um not in the sense of like they don't use slang or whatever i can understand as a white dude but like in the sense of they're like literally like they're they're articulating their words well and like every song you can hear what he's trying to and like they write songs about things you know i think that's one of the cool things about Murs. His subject matter sometimes can be a little dirty uh, or whatever. You know, you, you might not necessarily like the, the theme that he's rapping about, but like, it's clear that this is, you know, this is what he's on. And, um, and I think in all of music, it's not always common for people to have a point that they're trying to make with their songs. Sometimes they just go with like lyrics that just come off their head. And it's like, what was that song about? It wasn't really about anything. Merz's songs are always about something. I respect that about him. And he's just really, it just seems like a very um, approachable kind of down to earth guy. Like he never raps about, he always raps about relatable stuff, which I, I, I really appreciate. Um, again, you know, like I said, this album is fine. Um, it's definitely doesn't hold a flame to, I think their earlier collaborations, but um, I was never like, this sucks, make it stop. Um, so, you know, it's, it's again, kind of late period. I wouldn't suggest that this is where you get into it, but it's not bad. What, what were your thoughts, Brandon? Yeah, um, you actually introduced me to both of these guys. Um, bium, bium, bium. Back before 2010 at some point, talking about their earlier collaborations, which I did enjoy quite a bit on your recommendations. Um, and yeah you you worded it really well um i generally really enjoy Merz's storytelling um and yeah i mean you you already kind of explained like how it's just relatable and easy to understand and follow which personally kind of i have a hard time following <laughs> sometimes what um songs are about and that's not a, the case with this and enjoy ninth wonder soulful production as well um having said that this album didn't really catch me um i it's another one that i bought and <laughs> paid my own money for and didn't really um i don't know if i listened to it since 2010 
before this time. And there were a couple songs I remembered, but I don't know. It just wasn't something that um, just held on to me like other things. Yeah, I think I think their other records are are just and and that's that's part of the the, the problem sometimes when when we talk about albums um, is it's like it might not be bad, but when you have something that's so great before it, it's just like you know, like a three star movie, you know, like, yeah, it was fine. Like I didn't hate it, but like you, you made, you've made classic movies. Like it's kind of frustrating when you have a lesser work from someone that you know can do more. And I think that's the case for really both these albums. Um, the last hip hop album we're going to talk about briefly, um, is an album that I think, I think this was the peak of our guy here. Um, we're talking about B.O.B his album uh bob presents the adventures of bobby ray so i almost feel like at this point now it's 2020 like i'm not sure if the kids really even know about bob um he kind of was like pop rapper that came along and and uh this was his big breakout album this was a huge record um multiple radio singles at least here in denver and and went definitely went platinum um so man this is a weird one to talk about because i feel like i know what he was trying to go for with this in the overall aesthetic which is um something of a hybrid of alternative rock with uh with hip-hop um ostensibly that that should be my jam i mean i'm like into that's those are my probably my two favorite genres honestly and um uh just doesn't really work i think a big part of it um you know and again you can sort of maybe give him credit for influencing because he does sing some hooks and he can sing a little bit and and rap but again he's just not really great at either i found myself extremely frustrated um at times by um his use of samples and different things that I wanted to like it, but I couldn't quite get there. Um, the big songs on this one, um, you probably remember uh, Nothing On You, which is his collaboration with Bruno Mars. Uh, Don't Let Me Fall was another big single. And of course, Airplanes, um, the part two of which I guess it's called, it's not the remix, it's just called Airplanes Part Two. Also had a verse from Eminem, as well as a hook from Haley Williams of Paramore. Um, he has Reverse Cuomo of Weezer on this album. He has Janelle Monet, who I know we're both huge fans of. He has Lupe Fiasco, who I fucking love. Like, it, as we were discussing earlier, the ingredients are in place here. Um, it's just kind of rough. And I think almost like the Janelle Monet song, The Kids kind of epitomizes it for me because he flips a vampire weekend song uh that i fucking love the kids don't stand a chance um into something that just it just feels like ugh, like god damn it i just want to hear the original you know or just there's there's great remixes of that song chromio did an awesome remix like they can use that melody that idea but it just didn't work for me i think 
it's a very catchy album and i know there are people out there that love this record it was probably seminal for them and i hope he opened the door to a lot of people um from the hip-hop world to listen to more alternative rock music and stuff just didn't didn't really work for me and i just i i still feel like there's certain rappers who it's like i i honestly if bob is on a song now then whenever i cannot pick out his voice i'm like i would never be able to be like oh that's me like that's him that's he just his voice is so generic it just doesn't his flow and style just does not stand out as an artist i like i like what he's trying to do here it just didn't quite work for me did you have any any thoughts on this one what, what were your thoughts um not much it just sounded like pop music to me like that i never really was into um it did throw me off when i heard janelle monae's voice not having looked at the feature list beforehand so there is some cred there this was shortly before the arc android was released which i am very much excited to discuss Can't with wait. you in the near future. Can't wait. Um, and then I was even thrown off more when I heard Rivers Cuomo's voice on the next song. But other than that, yeah, it, even just hearing those voices wasn't enough to be like, oh, hey, I like this because, man, it was, I, I don't know. It was, I'm glad some people like it. <laughs> Yeah, we'd love we'd love to hear from hardcore Bob fans, like sincerely. So if if you guys are hardcore fans of this album, if this is big for you, please reach out and let us know because we we'd love to hear about it. But just I don't know, it was it just it just didn't really hit me in any kind of way. So, um, but God bless you, Bob. Keep believing in that flat Earth, and uh, you know. <laughs> the rest of us will go science so um gonna move on to the last album we're going to talk about for um for this week's uh episode jonesy and go now jonesy i guess is it jonesy i think it might officially be jonesy it might be jonesy i went and looked and i forget what i found out because the pronunciation was his full name so that didn't help much yeah he's from iceland so i think their jays are silent but um however you say your name uh he is the front man of sigaros uh which is a very influential and very interesting band um i actually i don't know if i told you the story brandon i actually had the opportunity to interview sigaros uh about three years ago at the santa barbara bowl and um i'm doing my research and they're like notoriously just don't like to get interviewed and it's been really shitty to people who've interviewed them and i was so nervous when i went in to do it and i had to ask them a question um on behalf of the hollywood bowl and it was something along or i'm sorry the santa barbara bowl along the lines of um uh like encouraging kids to play music or something like they they'd given me a question that I was kind of asking for them and they he just did not like that he he I think he even said like 
bad question or something. It was, it was like, it was a little rough. Um, I mean, he was nice. They were all nice, but it was, it was a little awkward as sometimes these interviews are. Um, that being said, um, I think this is pretty different from, um, most Sigurat stuff. Um, whereas they tend to be kind of dark, uh, well, dark is, dark's a little strong, but, um, their music tends to be very droning and impenetrable, I would describe. Um, this is effervescent light and as welcoming as the sun on a clear day. Do you like that? I feel like that's about as accurate as I can say. Um, the best of Sigur Ross music to me feels like a dream, and that definitely applies to this. It is frequently gorgeous. Um, only half of his lyrics are really intelligible. Um, most of Sigur Ross's music is written in um, literally a language that's just made up. It's nonsensical. Um, and I, I actually like that because the whole thing is about mood rather than specific ideas. And they are excellent at conveying mood. Um, I really like this record. Like this was, this was a, an album I, I kind of fell for immediately um, at the time. And I, I still just feel like it doesn't sound like anything else. Um, and his voice is just, just beautiful. The arrangements are great. And I'm a big fan, as you might guess, of, of quote unquote headphone music. This stuff is headphone music of the highest order. It is music to be listened to as you wander alone in the woods or something. Love this record. Um, it just fills my spirit with uh, uh, inspiration. What What are your thoughts on this album? Yeah, I feel like it's another one where you're talking, you're using better words than me for this. But um, yeah, I when I got it, when I got this album with my somewhat passing, but familiarity with Sigaros, I still was interested in this. Um, I was just surprised at how catchy it is. Like, cause I always associate Sigaros with kind of complicated, difficult music, as you said, in, impenetrable. Um, and this one is just easy to listen to. Like it sounds like Illinois era Sufjan Stevens kind of where yes. um, I could see these songs being used in like some twee indie movie like Little Miss Sunshine where someone's yes. running to something and finding something. And I think they did use the first track in some commercials, but. Um, oh yeah. And it's just surprising that it works in commercials, I guess. Um, Cause I wouldn't think Sigaros is something that you'd ever associate with anything commercial, but it's just so catchy and it works. Um, yeah. It's just, the, it still has that dreamy, beautiful compositions that I associate with Sigaros. It's just awesomely accessible. Um, even vocally, it's kind of surprisingly accessible at times um, where he's singing in English and you can understand what he's saying. And it's, oh, it's a, it's a real good album. I dig it. Yeah. Well said. I, I, um, I very much agree. It's, it's, it is um, 
surprising in all the best ways. Let's just put it that way. So, um, fantastic record and, uh, keep it up. I want to hear more solo, solo Yonzi. I guess we'll, we'll go with that. I don't know. Um, well, let's go with Jonesy. I, I like, I like the hard J better. We're Americans. God damn it. You got to keep up with the Jonesy. Aye. There we go. On that note, let's move into our final segment of the show. This is where Brandon and I now pick out our top three songs from our top three favorite albums of the month. The, the catch is we don't discuss in advance what our picks are going to be from either albums or songs. So uh, I have a suspicion that given, um, you know, just the relative, there's not as much stuff that came out this month. There could be a little bit of overlap. Um, so I'm going to start with, if I, if I may, um, the album I'm, I'm least confident that you may have included. And, and again, it kind of goes back to the format of our show where we picked the top three, top three. So it's relative to the month that came out. So it's, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to shit on this album, but I'm, but I'm not saying that this would be normally necessarily make my top three, but I think maybe it, with all these qualifiers, I may have tipped my hat that uh, I, I actually did end up going with uh, here lies love for my uh, first pick. Um, did you have that one, Brandon or not? No, it did not make my pick okay. as indicated by some of my comments on the <laughs> album. I mean, I, I'm sure I could have found three great songs to talk about, but no, I did not include it. Fair enough. Yeah, there's, I mean, like I said, um, most months I think there's a little bit more to choose from and, and I would probably, this is, this is, you know, it's how it works sometimes. So um not hating on this album, but you know, it's all relative. So um, I'll just run through my top three really briefly. Um, obviously, you got to go with Dancing Together with the Sharon Jones song. Um, the drum sample is just killer. Um, love the bass on that one. And as I mentioned, there's a theatrical quality to a lot of the music on this album. I feel like this one's a little less theatrical than the others. Um, it's something that you could actually slide into a playlist um, without kind of jarring it too much and obviously sharon jones vocals um are just incredible on this um she's got super shirley bassy vibes going on i love it um the next one as i alluded to i gotta go with please don't the santa gold song um just with her being one of my favorite artists i really feel like when you hear the instrumentation during the verse there's definitely a talking heads energy that comes with it it's a little bit like in the production, obviously a little more Fatboy Slim, but um, the sort of uh, just minimalist electronic stuff during the verse, um, certainly for me at least, gave me a little Talking Heads vibe. But I love the key change on the hook and the vocal shift. Um, she does that a lot on her songs where it's like, oh yeah, you're like this, yeah, I like this verse. And then like the hook is something entirely different and you're like, oh my God, that was fucking... You just blew my mind. So love that track. And then the last one, again, I, I got to give it up to David Byrne himself as much as, um, you know, there's 22 tracks and 20 different female guests. 
there are a couple songs um, that feature uh, Burn as lead vocals. The, the, the biggest one is American Troglodyte. That's the song I'm picking for my third one. Um, it's his only solo song on the album, so it's kind of like his only sort of showcase. Um, and uh, it's got great funk guitar and amazing burn lyrics, including Americans serving that internet, Americans are listening to 50 Cent. Now, he was maybe a little late on the 50 Cent reference because this album did come out in 2010. And I don't think there were as many Americans listening to 50 Cent in 2010 as there were in 2003. That being said, um, I love his sort of takedown of American culture and it's through the perspective of a foreigner. So it's kind of even more cutting, like the idea that it's someone stumbling into American culture, which quite frankly feels like David Byrne a lot of the time. Um, so um, those are my three picks for that album. Um, it's up to you what you want to pick for your first one. If you want to get into maybe something that we might agree on, or if you want to go with something different, but take it away, Brandon. Uh, I'll go with the one that we probably don't agree on. Cause I just think we'll save our, shared joy for the end here but who knows maybe you'll surprise me uh, <laughs> no i i don't see you not picking either of the other two i have but um apples in stereo is what i'm going to discuss now nice travelers in space and time um i do have to offer a disclaimer i mean you already kind of cut into it like oh you know just had to pick something um these are songs that caught me on an early listen because I didn't have time to really spend combing through it like I would have liked to. It's not an album that has been growing on me for 10 years or anything like that. Um, they were just things that caught me. So maybe they'll catch you if you want to check it out but don't want to listen to the whole album. Um, start off with the most obvious choice I could, Dance Floor. Um, it's just a really catchy single. It's kind of disco. It's got robotic vocals on it. It's just a party in a small package. I should have had the runtime ready so I could say that size package, but yeah, it's a really catchy single song that, um, you know, the other, the previous really catchy song they had was Energy, that people may remember, the world is made of energy, and then this is just kind of the follow-up, and they're still doing it. Um, next song, um, Nobody But You. Um, this song just kind of reminds me of their Elephant Six compatriots, if we can still call them that, because this is like, 15 years removed from Elephant Six um, of Montreal, who also have had a very prolific career in the post-Elephant Six days. Um, but it does sound like the early of Montreal, where it sounds kind of raw, but there's still a lot of beautiful harmonies happening in there and lots of fun overlapping vocal play. Um, it's enjoyable in many ways. And finally, the song I will choose is Wings Away. Um, 
it's just a lovely song conceptually, lyrically, with the usual fun vocal flourishes um, that I've been talking about for all of the Elephant Six, the Apples and Stereo-y sound. Um, it's kind of a simple song, but that kind of makes things stick out for me when you get simplicity in all the noise for a few minutes. So yeah, those are my three songs. Dance Floor, Nobody But You, and Wings Away by Apples in Stereo. I think you're still muted, by the way. I respect that pick. <laughs> uh, quarantine, good stuff. Yeah, we can't just talk. We got to work on mutes and different shit. Um, yeah, it was it was a toss-up a little bit because um, I really did like this album. But I think, like I said, with my relationship with the other artists and just kind of, you know, coming back to it, I, I kind of had a single out that. So. Um, so now this is where we get into the potential Yahtzee part of our show. So Brandon and I have never had a Yahtzee where we pick the same three songs from the same album that we select. Um, so let's start with Sharon Jones and Dap Kings. Um, cause obviously that's, that's on your list, right? The doy. Yeah, there we go. So, um, all right. So let's start, let's start with something I think potentially could be, uh could be on both and i'm gonna start with the title track uh i learned the hard way uh you said it man you you actually took the words out of my mouth as i know i've unceremoniously done for you um they pull off the cinematic sound uh which is why their music has been licensed so often as you mentioned it almost feels like a bond theme now you 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 reference that into the first song on the album um but I think this one as well, I love the dramatic call and response in the verse, the way that it kind of goes back and forth and they change it up entirely for the hook. Maybe that's another theme that you may pick up on on something I like. And the hook kind of surprises you in a different way. Um, for me also, what I like about not just this song, but this album as a whole is they, this is where they really started using backup vocalists a lot on their on their albums, and they played just such a big role on this song and many others on the record. Um, I think, and I may be wrong, but I think they're referred to as the Dapettes. But um, great job to the backup vocalists on on this record, um, and I just love that song. It's just just a a great great track. Really feel soundless. Did it make your list, Brandon? You betcha. Goddamn right it did. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of hard not to pick that one. Um, being the title track, it just kind of exemplifies everything that I said about the album. The I feel like, as I said, how the album is um, it's kind of a statement, and the statement is as... Um, simple as it is to say like the title I learned the hard way is kind of what the statement is and it's repeated in this song and it just it's just what it is um I love the bouncing between 60s girl group pop and the bold bold soul sounds um and I know there was never ever any doubting Sharon Jones's cred but if you wanted a song that just kind of establishes that for you 
this is the song, she's a total badass, and just those horns, those Dap Kings, those horns, I don't know, it's fantastic. Love it. Amen. Amen. All right. So we got, so we're, we're got one out of one. Um, all right. Exactly. Actually, why don't you go ahead? Why don't you, why don't you start? What, what's your second pick? Oh, I'm going to be the one that disappoints you by picking something else, aren't I? Um, we'll see. I'm trying to put this evil on you, but we'll see. Yeah. I mean, we'll see how it goes. I never, you never want to expect a Yahtzee. Um, well, I, I have, just, just sorry, just really briefly, as we've mentioned before, it almost is, it's almost better if it's an anti-Yahtzee and we don't pick any of the same songs because that indicates that the album is robust in great songs. So it's, it's kind of a good thing, actually, if we're, if we start going off. But that being said, I still want to get, <laughs> I still want to get a Yahtzee. We haven't got one yet. So what do you got, Brandon? Well, we've got like nine and a half years to get one, so, um, I had to go with better things. Um, and it's just that it sounds like almost New Orleansy jazz in its own way with the staccato trumpets. Um, and it's kind of got a nice lighthearted feel because it's about being above old drama, um, which um, exemplifies what I was saying. It's like, I don't even care anymore. I've got better things to do. You you do you, you worry about this, but I am above it. And just, I, it's weird to like um, call out a song on here as due to her vocals because her vocals are amazing all the time, but her vocals are just the best vocals. And so I just had to mention that on this one, particularly, I guess. Yeah, better things. So was that on yours? You're goddamn right it was, Brandon. You're goddamn right it was. So you know how a lot of times the best way to get under the skin of someone you don't like is to simply ignore them and enjoy your life? Like the phrase, the best revenge is living well. That's this song. Not only is the message itself the better things to do than remember you, uh obviously explicit in that theme the music sounds like a montage of like eating a picnic at a park and then like skipping around and like finishing some fun home, home improvement project like it's so playful you would never actually think that it's kind of a diss song about your ex it just feels so warm and fun and playful the new orleans comparison i think is fair um and obviously like you said just shouting out her vocals are just amazing on this one um, the way she, she she sings that title phrase in so many different ways uh, through the course of the song. Just love this one. And man, I really actually, maybe even in my top, you know, five, you know, I, I mean, they have so many great songs, but man, this song, I, I kind of forgot how much I love this song. This song is so good. We're on track for Yahtzee, buddy. And... I don't know. I think I think we're gonna diverge here on this last one. Um, I guess I, I guess I'll go ahead and take the lead. Um, very difficult to pick, but ultimately I had to go with the song called "The Reason." Now this is an instrumental track on the album that does not feature Sharon Jones, which 
would seem blasphemous considering that she is the uh the front woman of the group but the musicality and the production is just such a perfect marriage of what the band is all about and it's just such a rich evocative song that really expresses i think the musical elements that i love the most about the dab kings um it reminds me uh now in retrospect since this album you know came later but uh a little bit of the olympians which is another great instrumental band on the daptone records family they're kind of a super group featuring um members of different um artists like the budos band and um i think even l michael's affair um so sort of other other bands in their orbit but uh but uh for me you know again they're what i really love about the band and and all of what they do is is the way that it just kind of sets a mood for you as a listener and just puts you in a place and and i think i've just been profoundly influenced by the idea of like music that makes you feel like you're living in a movie and a really cool ass movie and <laughs> If you listen to the reason, you just feel like you're inside of an awesome movie. And despite the fact does not feature any vocals, and maybe because of that, uh, the fact that even something that maybe takes away the best part, arguably, of the group can still shine so brightly, uh, I had to pick it, man. Had to pick it. So uh, we're either going to get a Yahtzee here or or not, and I wouldn't be surprised if we don't, and that's totally fine. Did we do it, Brandon? Uh, no. Womp, womp, was, womp, I mean, that, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. But I respect the it's a bold, bold choice. choice, though. Yeah, it's a bold I, choice. I respect that just because if you – if our listeners ever – had the great fortune of seeing Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings, you'd know, you'd know that they'll have like the Dap Kings playing and Bosco Man introducing a couple songs before she even comes out because you really do have to pay respect to the band and they are phenomenal. And Give those guys their credit. Give them yeah. their due. Yeah. All right. I'm of curious. So. All right. What was your last pick, buddy? So I had to go with the song called Window Shopping. Um, it might be my favorite song instrumentally and compositionally, which similar themes to that. Um, before I even wrote anything about Sharon, I said the beat, the guitar, the horns, the backing vocals. And then it's just obviously Sharon is always on point and the album is badass front to back because of her. But the way all of those elements come together for this song is just really special to me. It just feels good. Um, similar to Better Things, it has that same theme of, um, I'll let you make your mistakes, you're gonna regret it, but I'm just gonna live and not let you bring me down sort of attitude. Um, I don't know, it's just another, maybe I shouldn't have picked something so similar thematically to better things but it's just um it's just front to back all of the pieces come together in such a great way um and sharon man yeah that's it you know you made a really good point 
um, at the top, which about her just not, this is the not taking any shit. I learned the hard way. I know what happens. I know how this is going to play out. You are looking around at other fucking women. You're window shopping. And I'm right here. So, like, what's going on, dude? Like, this isn't naive, you know, woman shit. It's, this is like, I know what the fuck is up. I can see what's happening. And you better knock that shit off, you know? So, um, really solid choice. Definitely enjoy that song. Um, Missed our Yahtzee. Maybe we'll get it on this one, however, because we're both obviously going with Jonesy and Go, clearly. Yes, clearly. Clearly, clearly. Clearly. So why don't why don't you kick it off uh, for this one? All right, no pressure. Not that I feel like we'll probably lose some. Although I, these three songs I picked are awesome, so we'll see. Um, first, I had to go with the with Go Do the opening track um like i said kind of about the album but really about this song um it sounds like something from a twee indie moving indie movie it's so uplifting like someone's just running after someone or something that is the someone or something that they must go to um and wikipedia tells me it was used in several commercials which i kind of vaguely remember it's just so logical to use this in commercials. Um, and I don't think I even got very mad about it, despite my general anger about things happening, because it is just what it is, a pretty perfect indie pop song. It's really catchy, bouncy, makes me want to do go do something. Um, how about you? Did that make your list? Of course it did, because just what a great tone setter for the whole album. Um, it's it's almost like if you haven't heard of this record, and just hit play and listen to this song. And if you're not into it, which you might not be, because it's maybe not for everyone, but um, you're not going to like the rest of it. So just just bail immediately, because this record sets the tone for everything else. I, too... <laughs> Uh, in my notes, um, made references to like indie. I said it's a, it sounds like a, a soundtrack to a quirky rom-com. And I don't really like quirky rom-coms personally, but I like, as I just said, imagining that I'm going through one in my own life as I listen to songs. So I deeply enjoy this record for that respect. Um, and I think too, just in terms of, again, um, the tone setting element, the mix of really carefully um, chopped up electronic elements with the vocals along with this really lush and organic orchestral sound is really what sets the template for the whole album. I think that's kind of the push and pull of the record as a whole is kind of between these really lovely classical elements and, uh, you know, highly, uh, you know, highly edited and, and, you know, uh, quirked out electronic parts. So yeah, I had, I had to go with that one. Um, all right. I guess, I guess we passed the, the buck to me now for song two. Um, all right. I'm going to go with this one. Uh, well, I mean, I have these already picked, but, but in terms of, I think you might have this one as well around us. 
So what I like about Around Us, this album is just loaded with driving percussion. Like throughout the whole album, the percussion is just very propulsive. It just keeps going. And this song in particular is just a real highlight uh, of that respect. Um, and also, it just has an amazingly beautiful string arrangement. I don't think we mentioned it, but Nico Muley, who uh, has just worked on a ton of um, indie stuff over the last decade or or more um you know he was the the string guy on this album and just crushes on this record um it's a little long on the outro um but that's kind of what you get with um with with jonesy and sigaras and um as a as a whole um and and it's just it feels again like kind of a journey like listening to the song it just kind of takes you on an adventure um which i love so I went with Around Us for my second pick. Brandon, did you select that one too? Nope. We're broken. Um, <laughs> so I'll just go with my next one that may or may not be on your list. But if it is, then we'll, we're not. It's just, we're just playing now. We're playing with house money or whatever because we we're not getting our Yahtzee. It's okay. Um, I had to go with Tornado. Um, it's a song that um, particularly reminds me of Sufjan Stevens. Just the way his vocals kind of break a bit here and there and transition. Um, then there are the epic um, Sigurosian swirls underneath the vocals, but and then he just nails the falsetto notes. Um, it's just probably... It's also, as I mentioned, talking about Appleton Stereo, it's kind of the more um, the more simple song among all the epics, although I use the word epic describing this song. Um, it's just kind of more straightforward and it just makes it feel really honest um, and but still just really beautiful. Um, yeah, Tornado is a great song, regardless I, of what you think, but let me know what you think. Well, I will say I, it was very close to including that one. That was, that was like, I was kind of going back and forth, honestly. Um, love it. And you nailed it, actually, in that description, because I think your comparison to Sufjan is, uh, is spot on. I mean, I, you, you can kind of hear notes of it in this, um, in the melody and, and just kind of the overall vibe, um, and arrangements. Um, yeah, I didn't, didn't have that one, uh, for my last pick. Um, but very solid choice. Um, the last one I went with was, and I definitely not saying this right, but boy, Lacoy. um, this is another one, obviously, we've been referring to the cinematic quality of this album. It's just, in, it, you're in a movie when you listen to this one. It's the, the string arrangement's absolutely incredible. It's funny, because like, when I'm writing about like how this album makes me feel, it's just, it, it's constantly like, this, like, it, I feel like I'm in nature. Like, it's not even, I can't really describe it in in regular sort of, verbiage it's like walking this song my note is it's like walking in a perfect forest like 
that's a weird way to describe a song, but I feel like all of his music, it's, it's like verbs. It's not like nouns. It's, it's very um, mood oriented as we've suggested. So this one is particularly moody, hits me in a very special moody spot. Did you, did you have this one, Brandon? No, that means uh, I, I also okay. have one that I have to try to pronounce. <clears throat> I I know which one you're talking about. I think too. it's Coenior. Yeah, sure. Something like that. Coenior. Yeah, we're going with that. Um, it's just a really great song. Um, I don't know. It kind of goes against the thesis that I've been talking about for the album because it is probably closer in line to Sigaros's usual output, um, where it's just really pretty and not as poppy um but it's just the way he uses his voice from i wrote from a whisper to a sing um everything working in that song is just so pretty even when it's kind of dirty if that makes any sense at all it's just i don't know i really liked the composition on this song and it i don't have much else to say about it but it's really pretty yeah his music and and cigaros and it's there's words kind of escape you and and you know there's a famous Zappa quote about writing about music is like dancing about architecture which has kind of haunted my entire life as someone who has has made his living uh writing about music at times you know it's um but certain bands are easier to write about than others. And I would say that the music of uh, Jonesy and Sigaros is just, it's, it's exceptionally challenging to write about because it, it's just such a vibe that you just kind of have to hear it to kind of get on that wavelength. It's, it's difficult to say. So I think you did, you did as good a job as, as anyone could at describing that. So um, I'm glad to know that, you know, we're we're in agreement on uh i guess well because we we picked two so we we had we had we had two albums we both agreed on and then we had three songs between those two albums that's that's not bad actually if you listen to our other if you listen to our other episodes it's it's often not even the case sometimes it's three and three or even if we pick the same album we we have totally different songs so I think we were vibing maybe maybe better than than usual which yeah. and this is the, this is what's great about music and what we really want to explore in the show is this notion of like there is no best there's no like this is you know you're right i'm wrong like we're not a yelly show that's like you're fucking stupid bro like you didn't like that you didn't like that song like this is what we do celebration of difference of opinion and of difference of taste and we just try to give you guys insight into what our tastes are this this week kind of worked out pretty well for us in terms of similarities but we'll be back to uh disagreeing here soon enough i'm sure so yep good stuff buddy well on that note we're gonna wrap up the show but we really appreciate y'all who listen to us shouts out to our listeners in kenya um albania i think I, I have to look it up but 
we had some crazy international markets, Brandon, for this last one. We were we're we're going mad international now, so that's exciting right. to see. Uh, so shouts out to everybody international is listening. Shout out to our American audience. Shout out to anybody and all all over the globe. Uh, stay safe. Stay home. Don't don't catch that Rona. Just yep. try to stay Take chill care if of you yourself can. And your loved ones. There you go, Brandon. Love you, buddy. You the man. Thanks for doing this as always. We appreciate it. Thanks for doing this as always. I appreciate it. It's fun. We will see y'all next week. On again, then and again, again. Hey, <laughs> all right. Peace out, everybody. Thank you.